Well, according to a survey from Pew Research, 60% of all Americans are more pessimistic about 2020 than any other time in the history of our country. There seems to be this uncertainty, kind of this worried fabric running in and through our country from sea to shining sea that is not as confident for whatever reason in the direction of our country or not as confident in our economy or where we're going globally. And can I remind you, there's no greater opportunity than right now to remind ourselves of the central truth, that you will never find your way in life until you have found your place in His story. The revered missiologist Christopher Wright said it well when he says, there is one God at work in the universe and in human history, and this God has a goal and a purpose and a mission that will ultimately be accomplished by the power of God's word for the glory of God's name. You're alive today, which means that there is a God that is actively reigning in your life. And he has a plan and a purpose, and his ultimate goal is his glory through you. And so we're going to take the first 17 weeks of 2020, and we're going to start in the book of Genesis, and we're going to go all the way through the book of Revelation, and we're going to together find that there is no ending to God's glory in your life, God's grace in your life, God's love through your life, just a beginning. And we're going to begin together and find how God's story changes yours. And the one thing I want you to get for your walk in your life is this, God made everything. With that in mind, if you would open your Bibles and me to the book of Genesis this morning. Genesis 1.1. God made everything. Now, books in ancient times were often named by their opening words. And so when the translators of the Greek Septuagint took the Hebrew, they found these three words in the beginning, and they translated it into Greek, the word Genesis. And from 250 B.C. on, it's stuck ever since. And so we have this book of Genesis that literally is profoundly wanting to impact your life. In fact, I'll remind you that both the Old Testament authors and New Testament authors confirm that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. In fact, Jesus himself states this in John chapter 5, verse 47. Additionally, did you realize that Jesus quoted Genesis 1 through 11 six separate times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? These opening chapters weren't some fable to our king. They weren't some myth that kind of meant to be explored. No, this was a literal historical fact that Christ himself referenced. Now, something else interesting. Genesis then informs us of God's purpose in creation. Genesis informs us of who we are and consequently who we are not and thus our problems. Genesis also informs us of God's promises. And that is why the New Testament writers quoted the book of Genesis almost 200 separate times in their writings. In fact, what you think of Genesis reveals what you think of the Bible. And so it's with this in mind that now we give our hearts to Genesis 1.1. And your Bible says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Probably the most profound collection of 10 words that you'll ever find. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Astrophysicists tell us that really life is only about four things, time, energy, space, and matter. 
Moses would say, oh, really? Well, I've been saying that for 6,000 years. In the beginning, time, God created energy. The heavens, space, and the earth, matter. The Bible from its outset gives us a God who is not some grandpa in the sky, is not some therapeutic moralist deist who literally just lets this rock called earth spin on its axis and then does nothing. No, he is actively involved for he is king. And he desires to transform your life, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. The display of God's creation is to point us to a new work, what he's meant to do inside of us for his glory. You see, when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, it was within the context of God's people being surrounded by countries who worshiped the sun and the moon and the stars and animals and rivers and many other false gods. The Egyptians, for instance, overwhelmingly a dominant power in Asia Minor, were polytheistic by nature. For them, the more gods, the better. They were also pantheist, which literally contended that the earth itself was God. They diametrically opposed Israel as God's people, specifically because Israel contended that life isn't about the pursuit of many gods. Life isn't the pursuit about some things, but someone. And he is the one true God. And so you have here the Egyptians worshiping the created, not the creator. And can I tell you that you and I really from Genesis 3 have been struggling with that central point, that we will be inclined to put a greater importance on creation, even creatures who have a radical ability to rationally and critically think And so we will give ourselves to the ideas of pantheism, that the earth is God, or evolution, that we mutated from kind of this, you know, bowl of pea soup that went wrong billions and billions of years ago, or this bang that happened out of nowhere. We can't explain it, but it happened, and we just evolved and mutated, and we'll give ourselves to naturalism, where Carl Sagan once said, all earth is matter, and matter is all there is. We'll even be inclined then to, well, actually, astronomically, there there are evidences that there has to be a designer. Well, there is an intelligent design, but we don't know who that is. Genesis, in contrast, provides us a simple, profound truth, that the key to all of your questions in life can be found by one answer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Moses starts this book by displaying God's sovereign majesty from beginning to end. The entire emphasis of Genesis 1 through Genesis 2-3 is God and God alone as the triune being literally sovereignly created everything that you and I can find. He created the entire universe as a result of that. There is no happenstance. There is no chance but a plan, and thus a purpose for your life. You have meaning and value and intentionality because you were created by God. The design gives us no other implication but a designer. And Moses, from the beginning, reminds us that you and I aren't a process of chance, that Everything that you and I succumb to in our senses and what we 
begin to depend on on the outside of displaying, whether it be the sun, the moon, and the stars and ways of being, didn't just happen after billions and billions of years of mutation, but rather simply in the beginning. It's of a phrase that means the first step of a plan. It can be literally translated here, the beginning of time itself. Now, Genesis 1-1, grammatically in the Hebrew, functions independently from all other verses in this chapter, thus stressing God's direct act of creating the entire universe. It wasn't that God was given them kind of this erector set and then built upon it with these Lincoln Logs of awesomeness. It, it wasn't that this earth was just kind of this happenstance of some like chemically imbalance that went wrong. No, in the beginning, God created. In fact, Moses, the author of Genesis, says it best in a prayer when he says in Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or you ever formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. God's creation then sets the foundation for the entire Pentateuch or the first five books of the Old Testament. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, sets a foundation in which you and I can live and thrive in life. That is why when I say what you think of the book of Genesis reveals of what you think about the Bible is so essential. We are not people of confession that literally to say, well, we'll just kind of skip over the first 11 chapters of Genesis and let's get to the patriarchs. And then we'll start believing different parts and aspects of the Old Testament that we choose because really the New Testament is all that matters. No, we either believe all of it or none of it. And Moses, the most revered figure in the entire Old Testament, simply says to a polytheistic society that life isn't about things and the pursuit of some things but yet someone. He is not a God of many gods or he's not a God from the earth. He is the one true God and Cain, and he has made himself known and desires for you to know him. And the implications of that truth can radically change everything about your life in 2020. In the beginning, God. Can I tell you that if those were the only words that God providentially revealed of himself, it would be enough. In the beginning, God. This word for God here is Elohim. It's a profound word in the original languages. Moses is saying that God alone existed before anything in the universe. In fact, this entire premise dominates Genesis 1 as God appears 32 separate times. Remarkably, Moses uses Elohim in the plural. He also uses the word for create, bara, in the singular, signifying the triune God's majestic uniqueness, greatness and sovereign power in all of creation. Moses is telling us from Genesis 1 that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are active in creation. In fact, with supplemental texts throughout the Bible, The Bible reminds us that God the Father decrees, God said and it was, that God the Son is the agent or creates in creation, 
And God the Holy Spirit empowers and sanctifies. God simply always was, for he was in the beginning. Now that truth can impact you right now. You say, how? Well, God can always be there for you because God has always been. That there never is a time in your life where God is not there. And we may choose to acknowledge that or believe that or embrace that truth or not, but He's there. God has always been there. He's always been. He simply is, as one theologian said. And thus, when we go through life, we have to remind ourselves when things show up on our calendars or when conversations happen throughout our day or where relationships or circumstances don't go the way we thought, it may catch us by surprise. It may make us feel isolated, but not our king. God has always been there for you because God has always been. God made everything. In the beginning, God created. This word created in the Hebrew literally can be translated to create from, from nothing. It can mean with, without pre-existing materials one creates. It describes someone in the Old Testament who produces something new or fresh or perfect. The more interesting fact is that bara, the word used here for create, is used exclusively in the cow stem in Scripture for the special activity of God. In the Bible, people make things, people form things, people build things, but only God creates. That's Moses' point. And thus, the Bible confirms that all things find their ultimate origin in the triune God as creator. Everything has a source, and the source is not some nebulous God or some unknown matter, but yet a one true God who is actively created. And thus all glory and authority goes to Him and Him alone. But God's very words He just creates. Through God's Son, He actively extends and creates. And through God the Holy Spirit, He sanctifies and empowers creation. Let me say this another way. God is not limited then by our limitations. Is there something that God's called you to do in your life? Is there some step of faith that either for days or weeks or months, maybe even years, that God's been calling you to? And for whatever reason, before we take that first step, there's what? There's fear. We immediately begin to kind of build contingencies of what we can't do. And thus, we, instead of living by faith, we live by sight. Instead of understanding that Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 26, with God, all things are possible, we focus on our limitations. Can I encourage you with Genesis 1-1 that we have a God who has unlimited power unlimited capacity, and thus you have an amazing potential in your life, and thus an opportunity to do things that only he gets the glory for. 
Creation was always meant to display on the outside what God meant as truth on the inside. There is nothing impossible for the Lord. In fact, let me state how creation tells us that. The Bible says on day three that God extended the land. Did you realize how profound that truth is? In fact, did you realize that the radius of the earth is 3,958 miles? God did it one day. He also, at the same time, creates this earth and extends this earth and sustains this earth while it is traveling a 1,000 miles per hour on its axis all around the sun as it orbits. He does it so well that you and I don't even think about it. No, I don't really feel a thing. If God can speak and create in 3,958 miles appears. He can then sustain that in a fashion so succinctly that we are traveling a 1,000 miles per hour around the sun. Can he handle the chaos in your life? Can he handle what is spinning you in and out of control? Can he handle what is burdening your mind? God made everything. I think secondly, the Bible tells us that on day five, God created all of the creatures of the sea. I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm, I'm a flatlander. I'm from Oklahoma. And so, you know, I've, I've been to the ocean a couple of times. And of course, every single time I step in, I always think of Shark Week. And I'm like, what's out there, Lord? Well, there's a lot that's out there. In fact, there's a whole other ecosystem below the water. Profound. One of the largest mammals in the ocean is the blue whale. Did you realize that the blue whale can grow up to 330,000 pounds? God did that in a day, right? I ate probably half of that over Christmas, but you, know, you get my point, right? If God can make such wonderful creatures that literally tourists pay thousands of dollars to go see, that are 330,000 pounds, can't God take the burden that's in your life? Isn't God sufficient enough to handle the weight that is on your shoulders and your mind? God made everything. I think finally, the Bible says on day six that, that God, the crowning achievement of his creation was, was us. For we were made in his image, the Bible says in Genesis 1.26. And do you have any idea how infinitely wonderful and unique and complex you are? Biologists tell us that molecules, atoms, control every part of your being, give you physical sustenance. Do you know how many atoms are in our bodies? Seven billion, billion, billion. That's so large it seems made up, but it's a real number. Seven billion, billion, billion. Remarkably, there's currently just under seven billion people on the earth, which means that every single one of us are a walking miracle that what is holding us together by God's design, by God's providence, and by God's majestic power is seven billion, billion atoms in every single one of them. You and I are literally walking miracles displayed 
by a miracle worker who is God Himself. If God can handle the complexities of us, can He handle what comes your way, both good and bad and anything in between? God made everything, and He made you, and He knows you, and He loves you. In the beginning, God created. How? How? The heavens and the earth. By two primary ways. How did God create? Through His Word and through the Word. God created through His Word and through the Word. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That literally in, in one of the most prominent chapters of faith in the entire Bible, the foundation of these men and women of faith is literally the fact that they understood the universe was created by God through his words. Incredible. The psalmist would say it like this in Psalm 33 verse 6, and by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. God spoke, and it was. God purposefully created through his powerful and authoritative word. And that is why if you read Genesis 1, you would find this phrase, and God said 10 separate times. What is Moses doing to a society that was full of polytheistic belief in many, many gods? who believe such ridiculous things as the earth is God, the statue is God, matter is God. He said, no, 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 in the beginning, God created, and by his very words, things exist. You want to know what he's doing? Moses is establishing from Genesis 1-1 that God's word will be the primary way that God relates to his people. There is a God, and he desires to be known, for he has revealed himself. And thus, all of creation is a potential to know more and more and more of the creator who made you and knows you and loves you because his word tells us so. The supremacy and authority of God's word through the creation event is evident as God's word accomplishes what God intends. Let me say that another way. When God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, things happen. Now, let me ask you this. Do you find your heart stirred? Do you find your emotions and intellect elevated more or just as much when you see the sunrise or a sunset in Oklahoma or the Grand Canyon or the Rockies or the oceans? Do you have that same passion and activity intellectually and emotionally as when you read God's Word? The intent from Genesis 1-1 is to not just display 
the majesty and beauty of the cosmos, but is rather to display a creator who took the cosmos that turned to chaos and now desires to bring peace and hope and fulfillment in your life. The displaying of affection on the outside is to be matched by the heart and the mind on the inside. And thus, when we read God's word, that same power, that same miracle worker desires to move in and through your life. It's to have the same effect, even more. I remember God so graciously taught me this when I was in college. I mean, I accepted Christ when I was six in a rural church in southern Oklahoma. And man, my, my parents were faithful in displaying the gospel and showing the gospel. But when I got to college and I wasn't who I thought I was, and man, life was tough, and I was sitting here and you know, trying to fulfill a dream, I needed truth. And I started reading God's Word, and it transformed my life. That these were more than words of truth. That these were literally promises that were becoming realities in my life. And God desires to do the same through your life. In fact, as we head into 2020, let me challenge you with a couple of things. When God speaks, things happen. That means that we can't take this book lightly anymore. That we have to understand that God, the creator, who spoke all of existence, has also spoken in his revealed word. And thus, the same potential for awesomeness and majesty is available in my life on the inside. And so I want to challenge you daily to read God's word. In fact, there was another study that came out right on January 1st. If you'll take 10 minutes of your day, I mean, one cup of coffee, one Chick-fil-A biscuit, one Read the Word of God. 10 to 12 minutes, you can read the entire Bible in a year. You can go from Genesis to Revelation. Now, the last time we were together, I said, hey, if you just add 15 minutes, man, you know, get another biscuit or, hey, you know, get another cup of coffee. 15 minutes a day, you can read the entire Bible in a year from Genesis to Revelation and the entire New Testament twice. Now, you tell me, how much better will your life be when we're not succumbed to just opinions but truth? When we're not overwhelmed but rather we're filled. Well, we're not living in fear, but by faith. Read God's word daily. Secondly, begin to live it out. Man, memorize one verse a week. This is something I've done for years, and I find that even though I sometimes leave the Bible, physically, it never leaves me spiritually. And it's there. And so when I get phone calls or when I get texts or when something happens in my life that I wasn't expecting, boom, truth, promises that I depend upon. And read God's Word daily. Think about, live it out. I'll finally obey. Man, share what you're reading. Share what you're reading with one person a day. Do you have any idea how many people that God has placed in your life that is dying to know that there's a God who knows them and loves them and desires to work in and through them? Have any idea of the impact that God can have through you as you faithfully share from his word? Man, what couldn't be different in your life? If you read God's word daily, 10 minutes, 12 minutes a day, you memorize one verse a day in 2020, and you shared that verse with one person. God made everything. And when God speaks, things happen. For God created by his word, 
and the word. Check this out. The most theological gospel that we're given in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the most theological is John. And John starts his gospel with three verses. And he says in verse 1, in the beginning. Notice the same? Is Genesis 1-1? Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John emphasizes that before anything had ever been created, Jesus Christ, God's Son, already was as the Word, as the eternal Son of God. In fact, if if in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, are the most profound top ten English words in the Old Testament... This clause right here in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and was God, is the most profound independent clause in the entire New Testament. It literally means what God was, the Word was. You see, the Word, Jesus Christ, who John would say in John 1.14, and the Word came and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory from God the Father to the Son, full of grace and truth. The Word in John 1, Jesus Christ, shares in the nature and being of God Himself, yet is distinct. Consequently, then, the deeds and works of Jesus Christ are the deeds and works of God Himself. Jesus is God's agent in creating the material universe, and all things find their origin in Him. Every sunrise, every new child, every majestic mountainscape, every sunset in Oklahoma finds its exclamation point in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul, probably the most profound Old Testament theologian that we've ever been exposed to, said in Colossians 1.16 to a group of Christians who were overwhelmed by polytheism from the Greeks and the Romans, were, were struggling with their identity in the faith because there was this Gnosticism taught, this false ideology that believed that Jesus Christ and faith in Him wasn't enough, but rather it was Jesus plus faith. And they were confused, and well, which, which is it, Lord? And Paul reminds him in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Paul renders verse 16 in a perfect tense, signifying a completed action with ongoing results. You want to know what that means? That Jesus does not depend on anything else, but everything depends upon Jesus. Let me give you an example of that. One of the largest stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is is something that you and I see every single day. In fact, it was the philosopher Rolf Waldo Emerson that said, you know, if God so fashioned providentially that to just give us the stars one time a year, that literally we would be so in awe of His majesty and splendor that every single day from that day we would talk about it throughout the year. 
But you and I look up every single day, and the average human can see right around 4,000 to 5,000 stars. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single day we look to the east, the sun rises. Every single day we look to western Oklahoma, and the sun sets. Eh, not that big a deal. Oh, really? Did you realize that the sun right here is 330,000 times greater than the earth? Did you also realize that you can fit 1.3 million Earths inside the sun? It's one of the largest stars in our galaxy. God created it in one day. You want to know something else? The sun isn't even the largest star in our solar system. It's not even close. In fact, there's another star called Betelgeuse. You heard about this star? This star has a diameter of 700 million miles. Twice the Earth's orbit. Twice. And yet, this star is not even one of the largest stars in our galaxy. Furthermore, astronomers tell us that there are billions upon billions, not just stars, but galaxies, innumerable as we explore more and more and more. So much so that if you took every single grain of sand in all of the beaches, in all of the entire earth, throughout the earth, there would still be more stars than grains of sand. The physician and geneticist Francis Collins said it well when he said, when looking from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. And he says that because astrophysicists tell us that there are certain elements of the earth, forces that have to be in play for all of this to stay sustainable. One, gravity. Two, the electromagnetic field. Three, nuclear power, both strong and weak. And the mathematical probability of all four of those things coming together to sustain the sun, to sustain the stars, to sustain these billions and billions of galaxies, to keep Earth rotating on its axis at 1,000 miles per hour is literally 100 quadrillion to one. That's the mathematical probability. That is 115 separate zeros. And thus, every single day, you are confronted with the reality of a choice. Sun exists, these stars exist, who created them? How did they get here? And you logically have two conclusions. One, it was just by chance. Hundred quadrillion to one. That some big bang created all of this. That some pea soup went rogue billions and billions of years ago. Most logical astrophysicists or physicists would tell you that that's illogical. And so then they will draw the conclusion of your second option, that this all came from a design of intelligence. The Bible would say that intelligence is God and is king, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. And as Paul says in Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him. That the whole and goal of all of creation is Jesus Christ, no other. That man is not the center of the universe, 
Man is not the center of the world. Christ is, and all things find their sum in Jesus Christ. Who I'll remind you, the psalmist says in Psalms 8.3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the what? The stars which you set in place was the very person who designed this universe which you and I get to live in. The very person who sustains an ur or sun that is 330 times the Earth's radius, that placed Betelgeuse in our galaxy, which literally has a diameter of 700 million miles, is literally the same person that set every single billion, billion, billion star in our galaxy is the very king that desires to reign in your life. And there's not an inch or an atom or a being on this planet that does not belong to Jesus Christ. Everywhere we go, everything we see, and everyone we meet are under his authority and will one day call him Lord. They will bow the knee and will glorify him as Lord. Now that's amazing in and of itself. But it reminds us of this glorious truth that if we're truly to live in 2020 for him, we've got to remind ourselves that life is not about us, but God. That's probably one of the most profound things I'll teach you in 2020. Life is not about us, but God. A God who made you, who knows you, and who loves you. So much so that he knew it was impossible for you and us to work our way to him. So he came to us who knows our faults and our desires and our thoughts and our our willingness to worship the creature and creation and not the creator. Yet he still loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, who desires for us to, yes, be in awe of his creation on the outside, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the moment that we give our lives to Christ, he transforms us on the inside, and we're a new creation. How in the world can he do that? Well, because he created everything. God made everything. He made us. He knows us, and he loves us. And you can give your life to him. And you can be a part of his story when you realize that life is not about us, but God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you see this beautiful poetic expression? Moses concludes this thought by literally contrasting the acts of God in two different parts. God created the heavens, the skies. He also created the earth, the land. You see, this is significant because historically, the inhabitants of the ancient Near East would have believed that multiple gods and multiple deities abounded in the heavens and the earth. These false myths did not distinguish between a creature and a creator. In complete contrast, Moses says that God transcends and actively reigns over his creation. And thus, in six days, creates a perfect order for the entire universe. God's creation follows an orderly pattern and plan. In fact, you'll find these phrases in Genesis 1 that God said, God speaks. And so it was, or there it was. Creation obeys. And God would say it was good. God evaluates and then blesses. God's 
plan is always in accordance with his purpose. Thus, everything or anything that happens in our lives is a part of a plan and thus a purpose of God. God is still in control. So let him have what controls you. What you think about, what you worry about, what you ponder, write them down and give them to the Lord. And may God's story change yours. You see, we will always orient our hearts and our minds and thus our lives around some things. And they'll either be the worship of a creature or a creation or the creator. God's ultimate goal in creation was to magnify his glory throughout the heavens and the earth. The creation by God leads to the adoration and glorification of God. And we've seen thousands and thousands of testimonies through the years of God's goodness. Let me show you one from a fellow Oklahoman. There was a man by the name of Tim Spencer that was born in Joplin, Missouri. He was born in Joplin and moved to Pitcher, Oklahoma. It's a town that doesn't even exist anymore. It was north of Miami, northeast Oklahoma. And Tim grew up in a miner's home. His dad was a miner. His brothers were a miner. And thus, he was a miner. And, but there was a cataclysmic accident by the time he was about 13. And he was on his backside for about a year. And during that time, Tim bought a banjo and a ukulele and found out that the Lord had given him some great gifts. And so he began playing. And as he grew older, he, he knew, I don't want to be a miner anymore. I want to be a musician. I want to be in a band. I'm going to write songs. And so he was playing in bars and in taverns and clubs all throughout eastern Oklahoma. Right about 1931, Tim ran away from Oklahoma and headed to, to Hollywood, California to make it rich and to be famous. And while he was playing in a club there one night, he ran into a man by the name of Roy Rogers. Yes, that Roy Rogers. And the two of them and one other fella formed a band and literally became one of the most famous country-western groups in the entire country. Tim, while he was in California, met his wife, Velma, who loved the Lord. And the Lord blessed them with two children, and things couldn't have been any better. In fact, Tim wrote a great hit that was countrywide that was called Cigarettes, Whiskey, and Wild, Wild Women. Unfortunately for Tim, he was actually living out his songs and so as he went out throughout the country, he, he gave his life to cigarettes and whiskey and wild, wild women. But he had a wife who loved the Lord and was faithful to the Lord and was praying for Tim, who wasn't a believer at the time. And, and under the recommendation of her pastor, she wrote letters to Tim. And so she knew where he would be, the next town. And so the, whatever hotel he was staying at, she would send him a letter encouraging him telling them that she loved them. And she would even write Bible verses in those letters. And one night, Tim gets into town, and things are going well, and the band's about to break up. And in 1949, in a hotel in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, Tim received a letter from his wife, Velma. And in that letter was a verse. And Tim went to his hotel room and found that verse in a Gideon Bible. 
and literally read the verses around it and gave his life to Jesus Christ right then and there. And was instantly changed. And as he began to discover that God had given him gifts and abilities, not to point people to Tim, but to point people to Jesus, he started his own music company called Mana Music and began to publish Christian music all throughout the country. Well, several years later, Tim's son was at a revival, and there was an Indian evangelist there who was leading in a song that was a Swedish hymn at the time, but captivated the entire audience. And so Tim's son comes up to this missionary at the end and says, I need, I need to know this song. Where did it come from? My, my dad's a Christian publisher. Man, the world needs to hear this. And so they found out that, yes, it was a Swedish hymn, but actually there was a writer in Germany who wrote this hymn. And so they found the rights to this hymn, and Tim published it, and a young evangelist by the name of Billy Graham heard it. And his worship leader, George Beverly Shea, as they went all around the country, began singing this hymn. Yes, written by a man from Germany. Yes, prominent in Sweden, but yet was published from a man from northeast Oklahoma. And Tim published this hymn, and Billy Graham began using it in his crusades, and his worship leader sang it 99 separate times times in their evangelism crusade in New York City, and tens of thousands of people accepted Christ. This hymn goes like this. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. You may start this year bringing with you the past of 2019. And can I tell you that there's a God in heaven who knows you and loves you. And if he can use a man who grew up as a coal miner's son and who was given incredible gifts and thought he had it all, but yet in giving his life to God, gave his life to things, but yet found a God who's a God of second and third and fourth chances and who took this man and who published a hymn, How Great Thou Art. It's just another living proof that we have a God who desires to do immeasurably more in and through us when we embrace and live out his story. May we truly be people of faith as we walk out of here and do life and remind ourselves that God made everything. Now, hey, you may be here and saying, okay, well, what does this text how can I live out this truth? Let me give you three things in the last minute we have together. Three things really quick. Number one, in regard to action points, God can always be there for you because God has always been. I mean, you run out here with this truth that you're not alone. 
That there's a God in heaven who knows you and loves you, and regardless of what takes place in your life, he knows, and he's there, and he's wanting you to depend upon him. God can always be there for you because God's always been. Secondly, life is not about us but God. Life is not a pursuit of some things but someone. And the moment that we align ourselves to God's story, he changes our lives from the inside out. Finally, God is still in control. So let him have what controls you. If God can speak into an existence, a solar system and a galaxy that contains planets that are moving on axes at thousands of miles per hour, if he can create the grandeur of the sun and even stars that are larger, he can handle every aspect of our lives. God is in control, so let him have what controls you. And may 2020 be the best year of our lives for him, for God made everything.